You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and cannabis curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, June 16th, 2022. This is episode number 303. I'm Menika Mahajan, the pot smoking PhD and founder of Mahajan Consulting. Stepping in this morning for our founder, Susan Soares, who will be back with us tomorrow. Please keep Susan and her family in your thoughts today as the news team comes together to make up for her brilliance behind the scenes. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. And please, and please support our show by subscribing and leaving us a review. Today, we are talking about cops spraying cannabis in New Zealand, a BIPOC-focused global health summit, a half million dollars in parking tickets for weed trucks, a Canadian senator microdosing magic mushrooms, a pro-cannabis Kenyan presidential hopeful, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you may get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The safe, self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as a co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Rico, let's hear it. All right, all right. So um, my story is ACHEM's second annual Global Health Summit highlights the BIPOC cannabis legacy. So full disclosure, my story today is a press release, but I thought it was important to make sure that we're covering BIPOC representation and opportunities heading into Juneteenth weekend, something we're not really seeing much of in the industry because, let's face it, we're looking at less than 4% ownership and more than 70% prosecuted. So on a broad scale, I don't, it don't really matter much. Uh, Juneteenth is a federal holiday when the whole point of our community celebration is tethered to freedom and economic opportunity. Nevertheless, I'll always go to bat for my people and make sure that we highlight folks that are against all odds making shit happen, and in cases like ACHEM, in a major way. Some of you may or may not have heard of the Doctors Knox. They're a family of black physicians, primarily based between Portland, Oregon and, and Oakland, California. They've risen over the years to become prominent voices of thought leadership in the industry. Dr. Janet Knox, the family uh, matriarch, is often seen and heard with daughters um, Rachel and Jessica speaking and educating on breakthroughs in cannabinoid science, medicine, and championing the uh, economic opportunities within the industry for black operators to collaborate and flourish why, uh, while actively pushing again, uh, back against systemic roadblocks meant to discourage black, um, black and BIPOC success. When I first met Rachel and Jess about five years ago in Oakland's New West Summit, I was just happy to see another melanated person other than myself in a room full of white folks talking about the future of tech in our industry. 
We've since collaborated remotely on a number of bi- um, pro BIPOC cannabis projects, and I'm always confident in their confident in their abilities to not only break through uh, the microaggressive red tape our communities collectively faced daily uh, throughout the whole legalization movement, uh, but also their dedication to ti- and tireless engagement efforts um, in bringing others along to benefit from the movement. This is why early on in the pandemic, when Dr. Rachel called me up to discuss their intent to build out the Association for Cannabis Health equity and medicine, or ACHEM, I didn't hesitate to offer my assistance with whatever was needed despite having my newborn daughter screaming in the background. ACHEM's focus is to, is curating global cannabis histories aimed to inspire uh, the transformation of our growing legal industry. Regardless of what the industry looks like today, the plant's always been used as a medicine uh, for millennia, embedded in cultural practices of people of color um, from around the world. So in celebration of the nation's second federal Juneteenth holiday, ACHEM will be holding their second annual Global Health Summit, June 20th and 22nd, uh, 21st, to build upon the success of last year's inaugural event um, that brought together operators from all over the globe, virtually highlighting uh, the powerful Black American history of cannabis that's transformed health awareness. Um, per the release, this year, ACHEM's once again t- uh, gathering the masses to share the indigenous history of cannabis from cultures around the world and empower BIPOC uh, communities to use those practices to expand health and economic equity. The 2022 Global Health Summit is going to illuminate the experiences of indigenous peoples throughout the history, uh, throughout history that center cultural ju- justice uh, and health equity and to better identify the roots of misappropriation and disparity and reincorporate valuable sacred ancient knowledge into the daily lives of those who need it most. The virtual two-day summit will feature ACHEM board members, Dr. Ogi, uh, Dr. Oga Obi, MD, and Dr. Jun Chen Dio, uh, Hersang, LLC CEO and uh, Chief Medical Officer, recounting the varied cultural and continental histories of Nigeria, China, Colombia, uh, Dominica, Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, indigenous and the indigenous North Americans um, to promote global health equity and explore diverse applications of the cannabis plant. The board will be joined by respected industry leaders like Jason Ortiz, dire- uh, executive director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, and Dr. Sunil Agarwal, MD, co-founder and co-director of Advanced Integrative Medical Science Institute, and a ton of others. Health equity is at the heart of ACHEM's purpose, and it's important to make the, that distinction aside from the term social equity, which is born out of great philosophical, uh, philosophical intent, but the blurred line have, have spread as to what the buzzword even means, making it an elusive target for lawmakers to implement in a manner satisfying to any parties involved or interested in actually righting the wrongs of the, of the war on drugs. I highly encourage any and everyone with time to check in on the summit and learn more about the BIPOC roots of cannabis as medicine, connect with some of the most influential people in the game, and most importantly, support black business uh, as we head into a weekend meant for economic freedom and, uh, excuse me, uh, economic freedom and collaboration with the black community. For too long, system, uh, systemic racism has perpetuated negative health outcomes, leading to higher rates of illness and death in communities of color. ACAM is eliminating these inequities by training and empowering individuals, entering health fields, and amplifying the voices of black and brown medical professionals and healers. Um, so if you guys get a chance, please, please, please check in um, to the Health Summit. If you guys, if anybody um, was able to check the one out last year, it was phenomenal. Um, the connections made it. And it doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, anywhere in between. It's just all about coming together and making sure that um, black, brown, uh, black and brown and people of color are heard um, on a broad scale in an industry where we are often silenced. 
So this is Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street. Love to hear what the rest of the team thinks about this. If anybody's checking in on the summit or if anybody else has anything they want to highlight as we head into the weekend, too. Thank you for covering this story, Rico. It is, it's been my honor serving on the board of directors for ACAM this last year. And I will, it's not Dominica, it's Dominica. Um, I will be covering that island, that country. Um, it's where my dad was from. And it's been fascinating learning about the history of cannabis on that island and in that country. Um, and so uh, I'm really looking forward to, to the summit. And so please support. It's a free online uh, program um, and using the HOBA app, anybody in the world can join. So please get this out to, to all of your people on every platform in every part of the world because we're going to be talking about so many different parts of, of, of the globe and the cannabis plant and its history and its impact. Yes, indeed. I can't wait. As a student of history myself, I absolutely love everything that I learn. Um, every time I'm, I'm talking to the Knox doctors and um, can't wait to hear your side of the, uh, of the story and uh, hear, hear you speak too, Nicole. And I'm sorry for fucking up Dominica. <laughs> <laughs> it happens it happens more often than not when i say I'm, my dad is from dominica they're like oh dominican no D dominica I'm all, I'm all about pointing thumbs and not fingers so that's on me well i love that you're covering it i love this um concept it, it's such a missed opportunity to really hear more about different parts of the americas or uh, different parts of the world that you know have have strong culture surrounding cannabis um and we just don't talk about it especially in california where we're so sort of egocentric <laughs> agreed yeah 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 it's gonna be great laura please join us it's gonna be so fascinating you're gonna learn so much um, I'm in. about all different countries it's great why in the links does it have the initials e-i-n that's that's the the the, the service promoted promoted e-i-n e -E is also a federal number that's associated with payroll well, EIN is the acronym used for the platform that they put the uh, press release out onto. So, I, I, I smell a conspiracy coming. I don't. <laughs> Anyways, let's, let's, let's keep it moving here. He's the private jet hopping, booth detecting, industry's longest continuously operating retailer, and my co-host as well, my good friend Jason Beck. What do you have for us on this beautiful Thursday morning? Oh, yeah, Rico. We made it to Thursday. We're all here. I'm so happy you all could join us because today my day is a tale of just so much drama. In the streets of NYC, weed trucks are being towed over parking chaos and half a million bucks in ticket debt. Half a fucking million? Get the fuck out of here. The New York City Sheriff's Office seized at least a dozen trucks operating for Weed World candies, which may or may not be shopping more than CBD products for outstanding parking tickets, totaling half a million dollars, officials said on Tuesday. Twelve trucks were towed from the area of 45th Street and 12th Avenue in Manhattan on Tuesday morning, and officials said more were expected to be towed from an area near 38th Street and 10th Avenue later in the day. The amount of parking ticket debt in judgment right now is $316,000 through the total outstanding debt, though, is $504,000. Some of the vehicles towed on Tuesday were because their tickets were in judgment, while others were towed just because they were parked illegally. The sheriff's office says commercial vehicles aren't allowed to park in the areas where 
where they were or will be seized. In the 45th Street case, they allegedly were parked there overnight. This it has absolutely nothing to do with marijuana. It only has to do with unpaid, unpaid debt, judgment debt. That's not paid and owed to the city of New York, said NYC Deputy Sheriff Maureen Caracas. The Department of Finance has communicated with these parties many, many, many times over many, many, many years trying to collect this debt, and the debt was ignored. So we went out and took enforcement action, they say. The owner of Weed World, Balil Muhammad, told NBC New York over the phone that the company is not trying to get around paying tickets. The city makes a lot of money off of Weed World. We will make sure our debts are paid. A Weed World spokesperson said the company was aware of some unpaid parking tickets. And in the, in the process of addressing the situation, the spokesperson said the company was in the process of doing so last week before Tuesday's seizure to manage tickets stemming from employees who are no longer with the company. It's like the responsibility was left on the company because it was really the responsibility of the contractors who didn't make good on the tickets. Yeah, that's some fucking bullshit. The Weed World representative said, so they just left on the company to take that burden? Yeah, that's basically what happens, and you should fucking learn that if you're a licensed operator because um, that's basically what happens when people operate under your license. But nonetheless, Mohammed said that the company's ticket situation got out of hand after the contractors didn't pay, leaving Weed World to deal with it. He said they, they took for granted tickets were just being taken care of and that going forward tickets will be paid on time. We're taking the serious, the seriously, and the people that don't pay, don't play by the rules should have to pay, said Deputy Sheriff Kokikis. According to the website, Weed World Candies launched in 1999 with the goal to get marijuana and hemp legalized and industrialized. We tour the country in a, in a fleet of loud vehicles promoting the legalization and decriminalization of the cannabis plant and all, it, all of its components, it says. It's not clear what the so-called weed trucks were selling in Weed World's name. The website lists only CBD products, which lack THC, the active ingredient in marijuana, and says it's campers sell lollipops. Weed World's vehicles will not be released from the impound lot until the parking tickets are paid off. Well, guess what? This sounds like probably the only enforcement that New York is going to be able to enforce. So good job, New York. You're fucking shit up. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I mean, <laughs> if you see the pictures of these vehicles, man, like it's, it's just textbook of what you should not be doing. They look like fucking ice cream trucks, man. <laughs> like Listen, very, very when enticing. I was in New York, they look really suspect. It was like young kids <laughs> bumping hip hop out of the trucks. It was just, it just, it just seems very like I would not buy weed from there. I just didn't trust it at How, all. Like, however, if, if I was like, if I was fresh out of high school or around the age to drive one of these vehicles. I would have seen this as an excellent opportunity to learn more about entrepreneurship. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I don't like paying $20 for a pre-roll, so those trucks are not for me. You, you might want to get used to it, Jaja, because uh, that's, that's where they're going. That's right. You better get used to that $20 a pre-roll shit, and you better get used to unpaid parking tickets, because I can't believe that this company thought that the 
drivers of the vehicle were going to take care of the parking tickets. I mean, that is just so fucking ridiculous and so within the cannabis scope of the of the the operators um, that choose to operate within the space. That like this is right. just fucking so. Such hey, 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 Jason, uh, with, with this, like the first thing that, that came to mind to me, like the five hundred thousand dollars in parking tickets. That's a, that's just a tax. That's that's the cost of doing business um, um, for trap shops out here, like. You get shut down, like, like whatever is taken. You get shut down. You get raided. Whatever is taken, that's that's just a tax. You're gonna pop back up. Exactly. Pay your tra- pay your parking tickets. Get the get them out of impound. The trap will will live to see another day. I have a question. Does does anybody know if San Francisco or if uh, New York has a program like San Francisco where delivery drivers can have access to like loading zones? Because I know that's how hundreds of cannabis delivery drivers have kind of skirted that system in San Francisco by registering their personal vehicles as delivery vehicles. Um, and then they can use the loading zones and instead of having 15 minute paid parking, you can have up to, I think it's like an hour, um, to go into stores. So um, New York, New York isn't even close to that stage of the game yet. They're not even close. uh, And Jason, I just want to throw in there. This sounds like the second, worst story of cannabis vehicles that were impounded does everybody remember when kiva's driver drove past the last exit into mexico and hold uh, on my, my, that- one, one, one of my distro drivers did the same thing and we got our distro <laughs> impounded as well. so yeah like that, that's not yeah what the you fuck yeah you reverse and you go back to that last fucking exit. You do not go into Mexico, homie. You, that, you, you can't, you is, can't is reverse down, on the freeway, Nicholas. You can reverse down the freeway before you go into Mexico with a truck full of drugs, bro. You, you no. can reverse. It's just a $500 ticket. Again, that's better than getting your entire truck impounded at customs. And being caught Hold on. We have someone coming up to the stage to talk about this. Who has the store that's the closest to the border? What do you have for us, Rez? I mean, I, I don't really have much to say. I was just saying that was my shop when they when they delivered that. And you and you actually don't have an ability to to back up. What we used to tell people after that happened was just stop, turn off your car, and flag customs and border patrol and just let them direct you back. Because if you cross, you're screwed. Are you are you operating? Down, is that down in San Isidro? Yeah, yeah. We we have a we our shop. It, it's it's the closest to the the largest border crossing in the in the world, the San Isidro border crossing. And it's it's crazy. Like if you if you exit to the shop, you see the giant Mexican flag that's right across the border flying, and you have you get fed into the traffic that's crossing the border, like you merge into it. So I mean. It, it's it's pretty serious. It's 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 closer than anybody would ever imagine you could be to a border. Yeah, no, big ups. Everything you guys have done and now uh, built down there too, man. And hope this doesn't happen to anybody. Has it happened to anybody recently? No, it actually happened a, a few times. That's the only time it got publicized. And then we actually it happened on down. a regular basis. I had to sit down with Customs Border Patrol and the local police to to have a conversation. Like, look, if this ever happens, we need a way to remedy this. And I mean, the, the cops are actually really cool, like ar- around the around the border. All, like they know we're there and they they're, they're okay. supportive, you know, they know you're not trafficking illegals. They know you're just trafficking. Well, illegals. I mean, they know, I I don't know if they know, but like 30 percent and growing of our customer base is from Mexico. So they could yeah. do with that what they want. You know, people come up to work, people across the border every day and they would rather get, you know, good weed here and then take it back. Wow. Right on. Can't blame them for wanting good weed. Oh, <laughs> oh 
yeah. Let's keep smoking the news, Jason. You got Priscilla next. Oh, yeah. Coming up next to the stage, she's an original breeder with a golden bong. From California to Michigan, and now back to Cali. From the D to the OC, she brought it back, back to Cali. Cali, y'all, CEO of the Original Breeders League and mother of two, with the ability to spawn more due to her fertilian breeding abilities. It's none other than Priscilla Agoncillo. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Uh, so my story is uh, pretty awesome. Uh, an ex-police officer turned senator unwittingly took magic mushrooms without realizing. Now he microdoses a drug most days to ease his depression. So Larry Campbell vividly recalls a day when in the midst of the pandemic, he felt inexplicably calm. As a senator, he was traveling long distances with his dog to vote on emergency COVID-19 bills, but he was struggling to keep PTSD and depression at bay. Something as simple as standing in line would trigger a massive reaction. So he was confused one day in 2021 when he suddenly felt less cranky. After three or four days, he asked his wife about his newfound buoyancy, and she admitted that she was spiking his coffee with minuscule doses of psilocybin, the active ingredient in the psychedelic drug magic mushrooms. The effect it had on him is not unheard of. In fact, magic mushrooms are increasingly being recognized as a potential treatment for depression and PTSD, particularly for people who have not responded well or notably to standard treatments like antidepressants. Campbell, a former, former police officer who spent his uh, years in drug reform, said he'd never considered psilocybin before. He said his wife had told him of her plan, but per usual marital relationships, he had not paid attention. After unwittingly consuming it, he was sold. Now he microdoses five days a week, usually in the morning, as a complement to his antidepressants. He takes a, a blend recommended by uh, Paul Stamets, who advocates combining magic mushrooms with functional mushrooms um, and also vitamin B. Uh, he said, it doesn't work all the time, but works enough for me that it's beneficial to me and my relationship and the people I love. Uh, now it's like a switch in my brain. I get ready to be upset and my brain goes, do I really want to do this? And the answer is always no. Campbell said the dose of magic mushrooms he uses is between uh, 0.005 to 0.1 grams a day. Campbell said the most important part of his speaking out is that he hopes that the legal status of psilocybin is reconsidered, mainly so microdosing can be easily accessed and also studied. He hopes people with conditions where higher doses might help, like end-of-life anxiety, can um, access a drug and people can use it in their daily lives. Well, to me, this looks like a win for the case of being dosed without consent. This is Priscilla reporting for the SOC News Hour. What 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 state is this senator from or was he from? Oh, so it's not not a not a real country. <laughs> Come on. Man. So um, so I guess I I I mean I, I'm grateful that he didn't have a negative experience from being dosed without his knowledge, but it is still kind of upsetting. Right, that she just decided. Well, I mean, she did warn him, I suppose. Holy. Maybe she had the power of attorney, Laura. <laughs> no, you know what? Well, we won't go into what most spouses do to each other's coffee drinks, but, <laughs> you know, could have been a lot worse. I don't know. I know a lot of spouses that drug their spouses. So, I mean, this sounds like par for the course. I agree with Jason. Par for the course. Don't get married if you don't want to get drugged. I, th I think anybody that is um, voting on any kind of legislation with psychedelics in America, they should be forced to at least microdose. 
forced. During well, the, you know. during the so you're saying you like your coffee when it's dosed, Rico? You know, I, I still got to learn about microdosing, man. I, I, I'm just a macro dosing. Micro dosing is for full trip. I had the full trip. <laughs> but you said this guy was a law enforcer, but yet his wife is in possession of drugs. <laughs> I mean, reflection. Oh, right. There's so much to unpack here. He he was a former police officer turned senator. Oh, damn. They like to trip balls. Hold on. But, but he's from Canada, so he's not really, you know what I mean, the senator. He's just like kind of called the senator. I, I, I don't want to I, I don't want to like, like comment like too much on the structure because I'm, I'm not as familiar with um, Canadian parliament and, and how their government is is set up like a. Are Canadian senators uh, seen in the same light of power as American senators? No, they're from Canada, dude. I'm talking about in their political system. Like, like do, do they have like the same powers here? And they are seen the same. Let's keep smoking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one wants to touch that with a ten foot pole because you know what? Can't where's Al- where's Alley Muffins when you need? <laughs> it's, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing but commies in Canada. No, there's, there's more than that. So our newest addition to the team is coming to the stage next. The can, This cannabis patient, plant medicine advocate, and Roz McCarthy's right-hand woman is coming straight out of Las Vegas. Nicole Buffong, what do you have for us on this beautiful Thursday morning? Oh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Um, thanks for having me. Thanks for that intro, Rico. So, bus driver charged after blacking out behind the wheel says he didn't know he was eating marijuana-infused gummies. That's the title of my article by Zach Jewell um, that can be found on the Daily Wire. A man who blacked out driving a 38-passenger bus from a Connecticut casino in March has been charged with 38 counts of reckless endangerment and says he didn't know he was eating gummies that contained marijuana prior to passing out. Mr. Chen was arrested at his home in Boston on Monday and appeared in court Tuesday, according to Associated Press. Chen, who had to speak through a Chinese interpreter, told Superior Court Judge Moses, I didn't know it was marijuana. I didn't know. The CT Post reported that on March 13th, shortly after 3 p.m., a Connecticut state trooper was dispatched to reports of a bus along I-95 South. The state police said Chen was unconscious in the driver's seat when the trooper arrived. A passenger notified state police that Chen had been eating something from a bag next to him before he passed out. And police said they found a bag of Smokies Edibles cannabis-infused fruit chews next to Chen. Victor Chen, the manager of the bus company um, that the other Mr. Chen worked for, said that he doesn't drink, the driver doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, but he has a sweet tooth and likes candy. This would never have happened a couple of years ago, but now there's marijuana everywhere here, Victor added. The driver was transported to Bridgeport Hospital, reportedly found to have a high level of THC in his blood. Moses ordered 25, the judge, ordered a $25,000 bond for Chen and will continue the case on August 25th. Some have claimed that it's difficult to tell the difference between certain marijuana products and candy or snack packaging. On April, in April, a study published in the Drug and Alcohol Dependence Journal warned that some marijuana edibles packaging looks nearly identical to name brand candies, such as Nerds Rope and snacks like Doritos Nacho Cheese Chips, the Daily Wire previously reported. In May, the Daily Wire also reported that California children consumed cannabis at school thinking it was candy. I think we covered this story. The Jacoby Creek school students were sent to the hospital when they showed symptoms of intoxication at school after consuming the cannabis edibles. But nobody was harmed. Nobody died. Um, they went home the next day. The Arcata Police Department believes one of the students brought the gummies from home, unaware that the product was infused with cannabis. Police also reminded parents to keep edible cannabis products away from children. I know we've covered this a lot. We've talked about 
um, the impact of parents not making sure that their edibles are kept safely away from their children. Um, but I'm interested in hearing what my colleagues have to think, think about this story. My name is Nicole, and I'm reporting on behalf of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Eat less I'm, candy. Cut down on your sugar. I don't know. I feel triggered by this story because they use the term blacking out, and I feel that that's a racist term, and it should be changed to something better. Don't yeah, don't do that, Jason. But um, what, what I'm going <laughs> to what I'm what I'm going to say here is is this dude's stupid. This dude's stupid, man. This, this guy's. He's using that as an excuse, and we're going to see more stories about people using, oh, I didn't know it was this, I didn't know it was that. He knew what the fuck he was doing, and uh, there's not an excuse for what what happened on on the road or, or why he got in trouble. But unfortunately, we're going to be dealing with these stories uh, for some time, uh, for quite some time in the future. Right. I mean, that's what the first thing police saw when they looked at whatever he was eating from. So I don't know anybody that just picks up something, a package, opens it up and starts eating it without reading what it is that they're eating. That doesn't even make any sense. I think there are going to be a lot of cases, though, where people, especially this guy, obviously, it seems like English was a second language. He may not that be proficient. I mean, you know, one of these guys that, you know, doesn't have command of the language picks up a box. So I think there is going to be a lot of cases of this in law enforcement and others we're going to have to figure out you know, workarounds or how this, how this plays. Oh, you know, you're legal issues. right, Eric. I forgot. He did need an interpreter in the court. So you're right. And, um, English is his, was not his first language. You're, you're so, right. yeah. So, so they say, so he says, like, I'm going to look at it, that shit with the side eye because, you know, I, I've watched enough of these, you know, like these uh, murder mystery like documentaries and everything. I've seen plenty of foreign nationals pretending that they can't speak English when they get caught doing some fucked up shit. Oh, University of CSI, of course. Yeah. Hey, where are they shopping where edibles are being sold right alongside everything Sounds else? like a trap shop to me. Trap shops, baby, for the win. Sounds like New York. You might have got that shit from Sounds weed like world. it was a weed world truck <laughs> as the culprit <laughs> with unpaid parking tickets. It was, Connecticut. It was Connecticut. It was Connecticut right next door. I mean, when you have a trap shop, it d- borders don't exist. Follow the money. Let's keep smoking the news. You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. If Bono had an anaconda, his name would be Eric Hess-Lareda. But Bono doesn't have an anaconda because he has a stunt double named Eric Hess-Lareda. Known for his good deeds and being a true steward to the outdoor plant, this freedom-fighting farmer's friend and Bono's, not to mention an award-winning writer, journalist, event producer, and content ninja. Here to give it to you straight, it's Eric hess Loretta. Thanks, Jason. I don't even like YouTube, but whatever. Uh, anyway, hey, everybody, great to be here today. My headline is from New Frontier Data's blog, and it's How Will Colombia's Elections Affect Its Cannabis Industry? So this is kind of riffing on Rico's story, and we're talking about other countries in Latin America. So the second round of Colombia's presidential elections are this Sunday. That's right, Sunday, so working people who can't spend hours in line on a weekday can vote. So I thought this piece would be very timely. After four difficult years, while progress for Colombia's cannabis reforms were hindered by regulatory obstacles coupled with the COVID-19 pandemic, firms remain optimistic about growth prospects for the next term. 
with elections looming, comparative profiles of the candidates seem instructive. From the right, Rodolfo Hernandez, a 77-year-old engineer, former mayor, and real estate developer from, from Santander, represents social conservatives. A relatively new candidate, he surprised the country by launching his campaign and shocked the establishment by winning on May 29. Colombia has a two-round voting process for presidential elections. Pundits have attributed his success to a candid and spontaneous style, along with a strong anti-corruption message that resonates with seniors and young voters, particularly on social media. His critics contend that his policy proposals lack depth and detail. His government plan only mentions the cannabis industry in passing by highlighting support for small growers and industrialization of the sector. Unlike his rivals, rather than outlining incremental policy changes to promote the cannabis industry, Hernandez has taken a strong position against all, prohibition, all prohibitionist policies. Implementation impediments threaten to de derail his ambitious agenda. Despite growing public approval, Hernandez will lack any congressional majority required to implement his policies. From the left, Gustavo Petro, a 62-year-old economist, senator, and previous mayor and presidential candidate, garnered the most votes in the first round, but was unable to amass the majority required for election. The pundits attributed his success to a deep knowledge of Colombian society and his long commitment to public service, while his socially oriented policies resonate with a significant sector of the populace. Petro's proposals reflect years of experience and understanding for the cannabis industry. His plans highlight training for farmers, expediting administrative procedures, creating domestic markets for cannabis products, and increasing research and exports. Petro also opposes prohibitionist approaches to cannabis and drug policy more broadly, and defined a roadmap to protect rural communities heavily impacted by draconian policies over the last three decades. Petro argues that traditional cannabis farmers should be included in the legal industry and receive technical assistance along the value chain. Moreover, he has emphasized the need to expand medical access and product development. Since Petro and his team know the in intricacies of public administration, they should be less likely to be railed by the bureaucratic resistance. In sum, a Petro administration would better would present better chances of fostering the cannabis industry in the next administration. Therefore, regardless of who wins, this month's election looms as a watershed for Colombia. And that's what I've got today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Gracias for having me up. This is fantastic, Eric. I really hope that, thank you for bringing this story, this article. I really hope that, that this newly elected official really does stand up for everything that he said that he was going to do and maybe create the pathway for other countries internationally to do the same because it sounds like he's on it. Um, he, he understands uh, the value of the research, researching the indigenous um, land race genetics there, um, making sure that they have a pathway, that all of the farmers have a pathway to legalization. I just love it. Um, definitely some countries in Africa and the Caribbean that, that can take a page out of his book. So I hope he really does uh, do everything he said he's going to do and doesn't back down. Yeah, you know, thanks, you know, Nicole, good points. And, you know, when you talk about legacy, I mean, Colombia has, you know, has tons of legacy and in industry with their genetics and just all the, um, you know, the, the decades and decades of, of, you know, the work that's been done down there, but also just, you know, it, it's only known in, in sort of the um, illicit market, but there's been really important work down there on, in science. And I've been down there on, in some people that have done some research and creating some uh, green grow operations and working with indigenous communities. So, yeah, it could become a template for 
um, South America, the Caribbean, and, and all of Latam. I don't know, but I just love this guy's last name, personally. Petro? Petro. You need some Petro? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, I mean, he's favored to win. I think Petro's going to take it. It's a very polemical situation. It kind of echoes what's going down here. Um, the other dude has no idea what he's doing. He talks a good game. He has no particular plans. He just talks. This guy, the other guy, Petro's done the work. He lays out very detailed plans, so you know what you're getting. Vote Petro for Petro. Gas is good. Buy better gas. Coming up next, she's a badass San Fran-based cannon mom with the voice of an angel. But she's also got a, a list of titles longer than a CVS receipt. Co-founder of International Cannabis Bar Association, chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, and founder of the San Fran Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project. Here to break us off with a little sonic relaxation and a little bit of that news is Lara DeCaro. What you got for us today? Thank you, Rico. You're amazing. Um, so my story today comes with a little bit of a content warning for those who, who may be a little bit um, affected by discussing helicopters who conduct low fly flyovers. Um, it, it can be a source of extreme stress and it can trigger recall of prior trauma for some of us, and especially in the cannabis industry. So I just want to remind people that um, if you go to the safe, uh, Stay Safe Foundation um, org. They have a list of resources for those with PTSD. So before I, I hopped into my article, I did just want to make that reminder because my article is out of New Zealand, but it could trigger some memories for those of us who've been in cannabis for a while here in the United States. It's called New Zealand Leaders Demand Cops Stop Spraying Chemicals on Cannabis. But it's not just about the chemicals they're spraying, it's about kind of how they're doing it. This was uh, written by Benjamin Adams for High Times magazine this week. Apparently, at a time when nearly 70% of all New Zealanders support legalization or decriminalization, it would seem to me that the police have other priorities. But apparently, they're conducting plant eradication flyovers, low flyovers, over small home grows, as, uh, as small as three plants outside while families are there having dinner together. Legalization backer and Green MP Chloe Swarbuck said that spraying cannabis plants from helicopters isn't the way to solve their drug problem, and she's pointing to more obvious problems such as meth. New Zealand Drug Foundation Executive Director Sarah Helm also agreed that the police policies don't align with what is happening across their country. Nearly half of our country voted for full legalization of cannabis in the 2020 referendum, she is quoted as saying in this article. Polling commissioned last year by the Helen Clark Foundation found 69% of New Zealand respondents supported either full legalization or decriminalization of cannabis, she said. Apparently, the country has spent over $2.6 million on aerial spraying of cannabis over the past five years. So when asked by uh, one of the local news organization what was being sprayed, the officers apparently responded, nothing, just dye and water. But apparently a local resident caught cops in the act, pouring a mysterious blue liquid onto the beach, is what this article says. And he posted a Facebook video of it. It turns out to be an herbicide they're using to kill plants called Biosafe from AgPro. According to the article, they have a HAS-CHEM uh, code of 2XE, which means any waste material is to be contained and removed to be correctly disposed of as opposed to material that you can just dilute down. And according to the article, AgPro's bi uh, biosafety data sheet says 
that it can harm aquatic life with long-lasting effects and is classified as a poison despite being produced using natural ingredients. But what it leaves out is that that SDS also says that it causes skin irritation, serious eye damage, the vapors may be toxic, and a self-contained breathing apparatus is required for those who use it. So the police are spraying this from heights that are low enough to spray over small personal grows with precision with people present. This can trigger, I think, a lot of people, a lot of emotion, and a lot of us because we remember back in the 70s when the U.S. funded eradication programs that were similar in, in both the United States and in Mexico, and that cannabis ended up back in our population, and those people ended up in hospitals, and a lot of people died. So this was really disturbing to me to hear that this was what's going on in New Zealand. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it's, it's put to a quick end, um, but uh, I wanted everyone to know what's happening out there. My name is Laura DeCarl, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you so much for highlighting this um, and covering the story, Laura. It's very important to know what's, what's being put into our medicine and uh, stop spraying of all these chemicals globally. Aerial spraying is never a good idea. This is Dr. Felicia. We should learn our lessons from Agent Orange being sprayed in Vietnam, asking any Vietnam vet who's been exposed to Agent Orange. They now have cancer and heart disease and diabetes, and their children are being born with heart defects and other kind of defects. Aerial spraying also destroys other crops, so you're not making any friends in these countries where you're spraying like this. It's, it's, it's toxic to your, your body, so it, on many levels, it's so wrong. Hey, Laura, I know that you did mention that this is from New Zealand. But um, I just want to point out that something very similar happens up in Oregon. It's not the police that are spraying, but they have crop dusters that operate off of helicopters that patrol the um, wine country. So in the Willamette Valley, where a lot of the cannabis grows are, um, they'll go in and spray with a bunch of chemicals, but these helicopters will throw these into atmospheres way higher than they're trying to get them to and spray them for miles. Um, so when I was running the extraction facility, we would have requirements for the, the cultivators to bring us pesticide screenings that show that their product passed. And then after extracting the product, we would, um, we would then get our products tested and they would fail because we would still be pulling the pesticides through. And in the concentrations that we would have them in, in, that, in those um, regards, they would now be um, higher than the legal limits. Um, so when I asked the Oregon Department of Agriculture... Um, why we couldn't mimic our pesticide program after that of the closest inhaled legal substance, which is tobacco. Um, they said that the USDA does not actually um, regulate chemicals that are sprayed onto tobacco plants because the cancer you get from smoking them will kill you before the pesticides will. That's the exact quote from the Oregon Department of Agriculture. Jesus. Um, so people that smoke cigarettes or smoke um, blunts with the, that are wrapped with tobacco leaves, you should really think about that. You're, you're smoking chemicals like Eagle 20, like, I mean, all, all the worst chemicals because they're not testing for them. Um, yeah. The turps on Eagle 20 are amazing, Nick, and you know that. Oh, shut up, Jason. You've never smoked outdoor in your life. So, I mean, I would... <laughs> I would say, you know, I mean, it, it's really remarkable. We need to keep having these conversations, though. We really do. And I appreciate that uh, information, Nick. I, I, you know, one of the things that I, really strikes me about the New Zealand situation is that these are home grows. These are people just with a couple of plants out in their backyard. They don't maybe have access to testing. Who knows if it actually kills the plant, if they still harvest. Um, none of that's really covered in the article. But it's really, um, it's, it's frightening for them. Um, and I think it should be frightening for all of us. But thank you so much. Thank you for 
Laura, Laura, are you saying that Eagle 20 is only able to be sprayed outdoors? No, but we were talking about aerial spraying, Jason. Who uses Eagle 20? And he's talking about aerial spraying Eagle 20 on tobacco. And what do you, you're just kind of trying to double back now. Jason, are you saying that you like smoking Eagle 20? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that we've all have smoked Eagle 20. I'm, and I'm going to double can't, back. You can't, double back. All right, better yeah, move you on. definitely smoked Eagle 20. <laughs> you better move on. Thank you so much for uh, giving time to this article, guys. Thank you for covering it, Laura. Let's keep smoking the news, Jason. Who we have next? Oh, oh, yeah. Coming up next to the stage, he's a blunt-blowing Fresno-based man of the people representing the black conservative voice whose existence Joe Biden would love to strip from your hood passes for even acknowledging. Here to change the narrative, it's none other than the governor himself, Nicholas Wildstar. Thank you, thank you, JB. Was smoking state of cannabis. In honor of International Day of the African Child, I recommend checking out the classic film Serafina and be sure to keep Mary Jane on deck because you're going to need it to get you through the emotional roller coaster of a movie. Speaking of weed and Africa, a presidential hopeful in Kenya is running on a cannabis and snake venom platform. Kenya is facing inflation like America, unemployment and public debt like America. But George Wajakoya, one of the four presidential candidates in the August 9th polls, wants to get the economy back on track by legalizing cannabis and farming snakes. His rivals, former Prime Minister Raila Odinga and Deputy President William Ruto, promise a $60 a month stipend for unemployed citizens and several economic reforms. Meanwhile, on Twitter, TikTok, and WhatsApp, Wajakoya, a trained lawyer, figures that since a sack of 90 kilos of raw cannabis is worth 3.4 million, um, Kenya needs fewer than 2,000 sacks to repay its foreign debts. Huh? Would you figure that? Wajakoya and his running mate, Justina Wamey, plan to legalize the farming of hemp so that its fiber can be used in industry and its CBD and medicines. In parallel, they want to legalize the control and control the use of marijuana. To ensure that only hemp is grown in Kenya, Wamey has explained ag agricultural officials will visit farms to test crops and hemp seeds will be provided only by the government. A 2019 report by Prohibition Partners that surve surveyed nine African countries calculated that Ameri uh, or pardon me, Africa's legal cannabis industry will grow to $7.0 billion by 2023. Wajakoya wants Kenya to take advantage of this growing market, estimated globally to be worth around $70 billion by 2028. Kenyans will be so rich that they will be only working four days a week, Wajakoya said on Citizen TV. Wajakoya also wants Kenya to take up snake farming on an industrial scale. Snake venom used in the manufacture of drugs and to treat snake bites can earn as much as $120 per gram. Proceeds from the sale of snake poison alone are enough to repay our Chinese loans, Wajakoya claimed on a local TV station. The global market for anti-venom drugs made out of snake venom is expected to reach $1.5 billion by 2027. However, wild, wild, however wild Wajakoya's scheme sounds, he could still prove to be a spoiler in a presidential race, said Herman Manayoya, 
a political analyst and lecturer at the University of Nairobi. The cannabis narrative was brought uh, why Jacoya such wide renown that he may trip up the chances of either Ryla or Ruto to garner the requisite 50% plus one vote that they need to win. I won't be surprised if he causes a rerun in August, Manoar said. The marijuana mantra is pulling crowds, and that could attract undecided voters. Wish that would have been the case here in Fresno, but guess they weren't ready to go wild just yet. Hopefully the people of Kenya don't make that mistake and elect Wajakoya. Reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour, this is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. The Governor. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Great story, uh, Nick. It is a great, great story. Two things. Uh, um, I had no idea snake venom was in such high demand in Kenya. And uh, number two, like I do not see how any of his opponents will be able to resist uh, uh, running against him uh, in, in just attacking him with like this guy's selling weed and snake oil <laughs> on the other on, on any of their attack ads. Well, snake I'm oil glad- actually is profitable. I'm glad to see this. Um, especially in Africa. I've been working with Rastafarian tribes um, and indigenous tribes on the ground in Africa and throughout the Caribbean. And this is exactly what we, as advocates, been telling them, that Africa needs to focus on hemp and the Caribbean should focus on on other um, varieties of cannabis, um, whatever is indigenous to the land, and, and, and have an open free market. Finish your thought, Nicole. And that, and that was it. I, I, I just, I, I'm glad to hear this from a candidate. Um, I hope he does um, become a surprise in the, in, in the polls, and I hope he wins because this, these are the type of conversations that more African leaders need to be having in, in the, on the continent. Agreed. So our next correspondent's beer game is damn near as deep and strong as his love for this magical plant itself. A cannabis and IP attorney and CEO of Fruit Slabs. Up next, Brandon Dorsky. What do you have for us today, Brandon? Thanks so much for having me. Today, my headline comes from the National Law Review. It's what the court's treatment of Roe and workers' compensation case reveal about President Biden's approach to cannabis. This opinion piece posits that the leaked opinion overturning Roe and the Supreme Court's consideration of a workers' compensation case are signals on the Biden administration's leanings on cannabis. The author's argument is that the Supreme Court's willingness to overturn Roe indicates that the court's comfort in taking on matters of broad political and cultural significance. The article focuses on a case coming out of Minnesota concerning a Minnesota worker's rights to workers' compensation reimbursements for medical marijuana used to treat a work-related injury. The case involves Daniel Bierbach, whose workplace injury required surgery and physical therapy, Bierbach suffered from intractable pain, a qualifying medical condition under Minnesota's Cannabis Act. Daniel purchased cannabis in Minnesota in accordance with the act and sought reimbursement from his employer. The company refused to reimburse him on grounds of state and federal law preemption, but a state workers' compensation judge held a hearing and sided with Bierbach which the Supreme Court later reversed, claiming the Controlled Substances Act preempted state law, and Daniel petitioned the United States Supreme Court for a hearing. The United States Solicitor General has argued that granting his petition should be blocked by obstacle preemption, a doctrine that comes into play when a state law stands as an obstacle to the accomplishment and execution of the full purposes and objectives of Congress. The Solicitor General's position requires the court to consider congressional intent. And the general is focused on the notion that Congress's classification of cannabis as a Schedule One substance with no currently accepted medical use has not changed, and that should be dispositive here. 
the general argued when the Controlled Substances Act prohibits possession, it also preempts state laws that require a private party to subsidize the purchase of the item, too, and that offering reimbursements would be tantamount to compelling third-party reimbursement for federal crimes. The general also described medical marijuana laws as rapidly involving and a, quote, hazy thicket, which suggests to me that the court actually needs to hear this case. The general has chosen to ignore the appropriations riders that prohibit federal funds from being spent to interfere with states' implementation of their own cannabis laws. The author of this article proposed that there are three reasons for the Solicitor General's virtue signaling and imputed those onto President Biden and claims that the president must fall into one of the following boxes. Either President Biden does not support meaningful cannabis reform, President Biden is an institutionalist protecting federal power, or President Biden is strategically preventing the current court from ruling on an important cannabis issue. On the latter, strategic prevention is based on the notion that the court is conservative and Biden is trying to avoid their jurisprudence on this popular issue because of their apparent comfort in changing course on Roe. It ignores that what has been published is not the final opinion, that the tentative ruling overturning Roe leans into abortion restrictions being something left to the states to decide, and ignores the fact that conservative Jew jurisprudence would be likely to leave cannabis as a state's rights issue. The author proposes a paralysis to market participants on the basis that a ruling on this case would deter people from getting involved in cannabis, and so the Solicitor General is lobbying for the case not to be heard, simply to not disturb the status quo. The author also suggests that Biden is potentially not that thoughtful on the issue and just may not care about supporting cannabis reform. He is the same guy that introduced the Comprehensive Narcotics Control Act in 1986 and sponsored the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1993 neither of which helped people in the cannabis industry. The suggestion that Biden is an institutionalist protecting federal power was not thoroughly argued and just proposed that because he has spent nearly his entire life as a federal employee that believes in and works for federal power, that he is supportive of the CSA and federal preemption of state cannabis laws. The reality is that Biden doesn't have to wait on it or cross his fingers and hope the court makes a ruling or a non-ruling he agrees with. He could encourage Congress to take up the issue directly by suggesting or demanding they change the Controlled Substances Act and making the issue moot. Or Congress could just decide to do that on their own. Or Congress could modify other rules to permit cannabis operators and service providers or even businesses offering medical marijuana reimbursements more confidence that they are operating their businesses legally and not in violation of federal law by merely tolerating the purchase and consumption of state legal cannabis. Let's not wait here, people. And let's certainly not wait for Joe Biden. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. There's absolutely zero chance that any SCOTUS judge is going to take up a cannabis issue. We shall see. You want to squeeze this last story in? Yes. Coming up next to take us home, it's a political strategist by day and baker by night. A true female multitasker who can not only bake up a storm, but also knows how to cook the sausage on Capitol Hill. She's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider. Taking off the apron and bringing us home, it's none other than Gretchen Gailey. Uh, good afternoon. My headline comes from Marijuana Moment, and this will teach you how Congress really likes to get shit done. Uh, the headline is Congress pushes marijuana protections for immigrants, advertisers, and banks in spending bills. Congressional leaders are proposing a number of marijuana policy changes in newly released spending legislation, including protections for immigrants who use cannabis, freeing up marijuana-related advertising, and providing the industry with access to the banking system. There are also provisions concerning hemp. The fiscal 2023 spending bills for the Department of Homeland Security, Financial Services, and General Government and U.S. Ag Department each contain cannabis provisions, some of which have been included 
in, pri in prior appropriation measures but have not been taken up. Among the more notable is a section for DHS that says the department can't use any federal funding to deny, deport immigrants who've used or possessed marijuana. Uh, standalone legislation has also been, uh, has been introduced before to resolve this problem, but has yet to be acted on. Uh, let's see, what else we got? Uh, there are attempts to fix cannabis banking. They're throwing safe banking into a bill just for kicks. Uh, another section with the FSG uh, deals with cannabis advertising. It says that the FCC could not use federal funds to penalize TV or radio broadcasters for airing cannabis ads in jurisdictions that permit the sale of such products. Uh, the spending bill does not include a rider from Representative Andy Harris that's previously been acted into law before to prohibit Washington, D.C. The draft bills will be marked up at the subcommittee level this week with the full House Appropriations Committee set to vote on them next week. Spending bills for other departments and divisions that have yet to be released are expected to touch on cannabis and other drug policy reform issues. What congressmen love to do is throw shit into appropriations bills so they can hide behind it and then their shit gets passed. Everyone loves a big, beautiful, standalone, take everything all that you want bill on the advocacy side, but it doesn't get done on the fucking floor. These things will. This is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. Pass safe banking. Fuck safe banking. Yeah. Reheated, reheated, reheated fence Hey, man, I'm talking. Eight, eight years reheated fence and guidelines. And bullshit. Don't have the, bullshit. Have the liability in the, in reheated FinCEN, bro. I'll, reheated uh, FinCEN, I, I eight years old, no good. Dump it. And, and we're at the top of the hour. Let's close it down, y'all. The last point it. I just want to make to Eric and folks out there is if you want to get things done, advocate to your lawmakers to attach things to spending bills. Yeah, let's deschedule. If you want a big, beautiful standalone bill, it's not going to happen. This system doesn't work for everybody. But Medica, close us out. Yep. Sneak into scheduling into a big spending bill. Let's go. I say banking. That was a great show. If you missed any of it, you can catch it anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and to our pinup girl, Zsa Simone Brown. Thank you, audience, for being an important part of our show. You've had your daily dose. Now go out there and make a difference. You've been tuned in to the State of Kansas <laughs> News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. Hey, what are you still doing here? The show's over. You just don't want to leave, do you? I know. We love you too. Help us grow by grabbing some of our merch. We've got hats, bags, hoodies, water bottles, all the standards. It would really mean a lot. Go to justsaycare.org backslash shop today. Really, I mean it, today. With the supply chain issues, you might get it by Christmas. The good news is that inflation will be so bad, you'll be locked into a low, low price. Remember, justsaycare.org. Thanks. Okay, go listen to another podcast. Bye.